A reading from Genesis. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, Oh yes, you did laugh. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Startle us, O God, with your grace, your truth, your love. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this morning we are in the midst of a sermon series on sacred community. We've been talking about the characteristics that help a community to feel not perfect, but sacred, authentic, meaningful, real, sacred. Today's marks of sacred community are driven by a great story in Genesis 18 about an an encounter between these two people, Abraham and Sarah, and God. And the marks of sacred community that we'll be looking at this morning are hospitality and laughter and imagination. Let's start with hospitality, which unfortunately is too often associated with the Courtyard Marriott breakfast buffet or the maitre d' at a restaurant, something that you pay for and that you assume that you get in return. But instead, the Bible talks about hospitality differently. For the Bible, hospitality is not a transaction. It is a means to creating sacred community. 
Hospitality is a thing that helps people to feel welcome and valued and less alone in life as children of God. Let's dig into the story. It's from Genesis 18. This unique encounter with God has these great opening hints of kind of superhero and spy novel woven together in a story where God shows up in a unique way. Abraham, it says, is sitting at the entrance to his tent when three strangers appear off in the distance. As the reader of this story, you figure out pretty quickly that the visitors are God coming to see Abraham and Sarah, but for that couple, it's not so obvious at first. In that superhero spy movie uh, element of the story, God puts on some sort of a mask or a magical cloak and is suddenly disguised as these three men traveling through the Middle Eastern desert and stumbling upon Abraham's oasis in the heat of the day. Abraham is the consummate good host. He rolls out the red carpet for these three men. It's not uncommon for congregations who are doing some kind of hospitality training with their ushers or their deacons or their whole congregation to look at this story as a measure of what hospitality is supposed to be about. In fact, a visitor from one of my previous congregations who was the head usher is visiting with us this morning and participated in such a training <laughs> as a complete surprise to me. Anyway, let's look at this story as Vern once did with me, and let's talk about the marks of hospitality that emerge in this story. So these strangers arrive at Abraham's tent. They arrive in the heat of the day, and at the first sight, the story says that Abraham does not walk. He runs to meet them. It says that he greets them with respect, addressing them as master and calling himself servant. He draws water for them to wash their feet from the dusty road. He leads them out of the burning heat and allows them to rest in the shade of a tree. He calls to his wife, Sarah, and he asks her not for the day-old bread, but to bake fresh bread and to bake it from their best flour. He calls to a servant who minds the herds and the flocks and asks for one of the best cattle to be slaughtered so that they might prepare to feast together. All of these actions are explicitly described in just a few lines in a way that is reminiscent of the return of the prodigal son in Jesus' New Testament story. But this is not Abraham's long-lost son. These are three perfect strangers. And so when congregations talk about this passage to teach hospitality, you can imagine the question that is the culmination of the exercise. What would it be like if every visitor that walked through the doors of our church experienced this kind of welcome? The eagerness, the excitement, the care, the willingness to share the best of what we have with one whom we have only just met and who we know nothing about. Of course, those people would want to be part of a community where they were treated that way. How do we make it happen? 
The fact is, this kind of extravagant hospitality is hard. It takes a lot of work. But it's not just the stuff of Bible stories, and it can be much simpler than you think. And in fact, I must share with you an act of extraordinary, extraordinary hospitality I myself witnessed three days ago when I was writing this very sermon. I was sitting in a coffee shop, as I sometimes am when I write. It was hot and humid as it has been the last several days. And a woman, quite elderly and walking very slowly with a cane, approached the door of the coffee shop. It was not the woman who caught my attention at first. It was the barista who suddenly got up from her stool and fairly ran to the front door. She opened the door and hurried down the steps, and by the time she was at the bottom of the steps, the second barista was at the top, and they made their way into the street, helped the woman in the door and up the steps and into the coffee shop. And in a way that wasn't even visible to me, by the time that they helped her to get to a table, there was a cup of coffee and a cinnamon roll and a fork and a napkin already there waiting for her. The barista helped the woman to be seated and helped her to take off her mask as they talked about how poor the air quality had been. And as soon as she had finished cashing out the next customer who walked through the door, the barista proceeded to return to the table and to sit down with this lady as they talked in animated tones about their week and their work and their family. Obviously, this woman was not a complete stranger or a surprise because of some of the things that happened. But I could not deny that in every other measurable respect, I was watching Genesis 18 play out before me in a coffee shop. And it was amazing and surprising and beautiful to behold. And it was simple. And if this kind of sacred community can happen in a coffee shop, we certainly should be able to make it happen in a church. So that seems like our first challenge from this morning's story. How do we see extravagant hospitality as something that's not just the stuff of Bible stories, but that can happen all around us? Maybe you would depart this room today imagining, how can I make someone's life a little bit more beautiful by showing hospitality today? A second thing in this story that is really worth talking about is laughter. There is laughter in this passage. It is mentioned multiple times and with great intentionality on the part of the storyteller, and that is a good reminder of something we don't talk about often enough, that God's got a sense of humor, and that part of the life of faith is remembering not to take ourselves too seriously. So returning to the story, Abraham has finished rolling out the red carpet for these three strangers. They are reclining with a belly full of fresh bread and fatted calf, and one of them casually mentions to Abraham, I'm planning to be back by this place a year from now, and your wife will have a child. 
Sarah, overhearing them, nearly falls out of the tent laughing. You have to imagine that this was not a delightful belly laugh. It was much more of a sneer. Ha! Baby. You see, Sarah has been praying her whole life for a child, and it is way too late. She is too old. So is Abraham. They gave up on that dream a long time ago, so she is laughing at the cruelty of the visitor outside the tent. We often laugh when things are painful or difficult or uncomfortable, don't we? Think about jokes that you've heard or told. Think about stand-up comedy. We laugh at the challenges of aging, like they do in this story. We laugh at references to bigotry and racism. We laugh at suffering of various kinds. We laugh at things that embarrass us, uh, us about our bodies or our families or our bad habits. Through laughing, we get these emotions out of ourselves when we don't know how to talk about them directly. Who knows how many times Abraham and Sarah might have failed to talk about their infertility in any kind of a nurturing or constructive way. Or maybe they did, but the pain was still there. And so Sarah laughs. Because sometimes laughter makes the hard things in life a bit more bearable. Now here we have to be careful about how we interpret the story because Bible stories are not the best source of wisdom if we apply them incorrectly. And so I want to make sure that I admit right out front that the Bible is not a good place for wisdom regarding infertility. Modern folk know that some women and men just are not going to have biological children. And many, yes, adopt or foster, or many find completely different ways to make a significant and meaningful life. But the ancient world was pretty laser-focused on fertility. That's just a fact. It was a means of survival. And so we have to be careful not to adopt that worldview into 2023 where it does not belong. Otherwise, these stories can become quite cruel and unhelpful. But if we can set aside that and see that that may not be the point of this story for us, we can also see that the laughter in this story is a gateway to a third idea that marks sacred communities. And that idea is imagination. Imagination. Now, returning to the story, when Sarah laughs, the guests, God, are listening. And the guests follow up immediately by saying, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah denies it, saying, I didn't laugh. 
And the moment, the big reveal of the story where we find out that these strangers are in fact God is when the truth is spoken to Sarah. They reply, yes, Sarah, you did laugh. And this is the exchange that ushers us into this third mark of sacred community, imagination. Because when God asks Abraham and Sarah, why did you laugh? The meaning is clear. Can you not imagine that things might be different than the way that they are? Can you not imagine that things might be different than the way that they are? The word imagination gets a narrow definition in common language. It's usually reserved as a synonym for naive or childish. That's not what we're talking about here. Biblically, theologically, imagination has much more to do with grown-up people being able to see the potential for things to be different than we've accepted that they are. When I think about biblical imagination, the people who come to mind for me are Harriet Tubman or Steve Jobs. People who are unwilling to settle for things the way they are. People who have a natural ability to ask what possibilities exist beyond the things I have been taught are normal and possible. Imagination is vision. This ancient story has fertility, has fertility at the center of its plot, but it equally may have turned on any other thing in Abraham and Sarah's life that may have been deeply disappointed to them, disappointing to them, and they are invited to imagine the future differently. Can you imagine change in the world? Are you one of the people who does that easily? Or are you one of the folks who finds it really hard? Or maybe you're somewhere in between. Some of us can be a change maker like Harriet Tubman or Steve Jobs because we see right away that the woe and hopelessness of the world are just way too small. Just about all of us have some itch for that inside us, to not accept the world just as it has been given to us, but to see that things have been different. And a mark of, the, of living in sacred community together is challenging one another to grow in that kind of imagination. Can you shift your response to the world around you? Because sure, you may not be able to do anything about realities like your boss or your ex or something in your past, but you may be able to imagine an alternative way of responding to that reality so that you do not also lose your future. Imagination is a gift of sacred community. And one more word about imagination. It's not just about us as individuals, and it's not just about us as a church community, but that it is about the nation in which we live. Because here on 4th of July, it's important to mention that imagination conceived in this particular way is a lot like freedom. 
The reason civic freedom is worth celebrating is because it is a blessing enjoyed by people who do not have to allow oppressive governments to determine their future. It is about people who can imagine and achieve something different and better for themselves and their neighbors. These are values on which our country was founded. And we live in faith, we live in imagination when we give thanks for the blessings of freedom and for the hope that it provides, and when we demand those same blessings not only for ourselves, but for everyone who lives in community with us. So, we read stories like this one in Genesis 18, because like other stories in Genesis, it teaches us what sacred community looks like. Sacred communities are places of hospitality, where we go out of our way to welcome one another, and we experience that welcome ourselves. Sacred communities are places where we laugh together when life gets hard and when laughter is all we can do. And sacred communities are places where we have an imagination together, where we have a vision of a life that can be different and better for ourselves and for others, and where we work to make that vision a reality. These are the things the story wants to teach us. In the next couple of sermons, we'll begin to look at places in life where sacred community fails and how God is present in those places as well. And for today, my wish for you is that we would all seek hospitality and laughter and imagination in every place that we may find it. And to God be the glory. Amen.